Romans chapter 8 is where we are, and we are ready to look at verses 26 and 27. Before our purposes, I just want to read 26 through 28. Pause and pray. Ask God to bless this, these verses, and we'll dive in. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Let's just ask God now for his blessing. Father, we need help with these verses. Your word is so profound and interconnected that in our weakness, we not only know not what to pray for as we should, but sometimes we don't know what to preach as we should. So I pray now that your spirit would guide me and to the points that you want made in this message for the people that are here or watching online. I confess my inability and weakness so that the power of Christ can rest upon me now and the gifting of his spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. Now you'll remember beginning in verses 17 and 18 that Paul is teaching us about our future glory or as we've called it, our inheritance. We are heirs as sons of God, fellow heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. He's talking about our inheritance, our future hope, that time and place that we were saved into, Paul says, and now we hope for with confident, eager expectation. But talking about our future glory, he does so with the backdrop of suffering in the now time, the present time, the time in which we live our daily lives. It is a time of suffering. That's the backdrop. And that's really what makes glory so appealing, right? It's on the backdrop of the suffering of this time, knowing that that time is coming when suffering will be no more. But you'll remember that we've made this comment based upon verse 17. And one thing that Paul says at the end that provided now... We're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, we've made this point that suffering for us is absolutely necessary. That the people of God, as the people of God, not only will suffer, but they must suffer in this life. It is an absolute necessity to suffer with Christ. Just as we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus walked the road of suffering to get to glory. And that author of Hebrews is saying, you must do the same thing. That the path of our life 
in order to get to glory is a path of suffering, and Paul describes it as suffering with Christ. You remember the alternative would be suffering comes, and because we've been sold a Benny hidden package of goods, that God wants our lives will also always to be healthy and wealthy and wise, and all of a sudden suffering comes, and we're like, wait a minute, Jesus isn't giving me what I was told Jesus was going to give me, and now I'm going to bail on Jesus. That's why it's a false gospel. It's good news, but it's false good news, you see. But what the Bible tells us, what God tells us through the Bible, is that suffering is necessary and we suffer with Christ. We endure through the suffering with Him, still believing in Him, still depending upon Him, still loving Him, still worshiping Him, still sharing Him with others, you see. The suffering with Christ. The suffering of this time is absolutely necessary. And God uses suffering in this present time to mold us and shape us and grow us into Christ likeness. And to, listen now, expose our weaknesses. Nothing exposes our weaknesses like times of trial and suffering. Nothing exposes what we do. We try so hard to hide from other people our weaknesses. Suffering comes along and they rise right to the service. We recognize how weak we are. Suffering reveals our weaknesses, but God has a purpose in that. And God is helping, helping us in that. Now, before I get to that, that's verses 26 and 27, what I just told you. Before I get to that, let me just remind us of a few things when we hit suffering that we've already covered in Romans, and so that we're on the same page. I'm just quickly going to number these and name them. Number one, what you need to know before you hit suffering and remind yourself as you hit it is this. This is not your forever experience. Whatever you're walking through, this is not your forever experience. Because of what Jesus has done for you, suffering for you in a saving way, like dying on the cross for your sins, This is not your forever suffering. This is not your forever experience. Glory is coming. That's what Paul's telling us. That there is no suffering here worth even comparing with it. But because of Jesus' suffering for us, we can know our suffering will not last forever, even if it lasts the whole rest of our lives here. There's coming an ending point that you'll never feel it again. Okay? Number two, remember, based on Paul, what he's taught us in Romans is this. Your suffering is not a result of God's wrath towards you. It's not a result of God's wrath, his judicial punishment towards you. That cannot be, Christian, because we studied back in Romans 3 that when Jesus died, he was satisfying the wrath of God for all his people. 
That when Jesus was dying, he was dying particularly for his people. He was bearing the wrath that God had reserved for them because of their sin. He was making propitiation for it so that they could know as they're trusting in him, the wrath of God towards me that was a right wrath because of my sin is now been absorbed in the person of Christ on the cross. Whatever you're suffering, friends, it is not a result of God's wrath. That cannot be. Once God's wrath has been propitiated, it is as Jesus said, it is finished, meaning for his people, no more wrath. This is why we sing songs like this. He bore the wrath reserved for me Now all I know is grace. Or on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So no matter what you're suffering, even if it is, as Paul will go on to say, for your sake, God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We can know even if that's happening, God's eternal love on us in Christ is still there. We are his beloved children. This is not a result of wrath. The cross won't let us draw that conclusion, you see. Number three, God is using the suffering in your life to make you like Jesus and build your faith and build your hope and to wean you off your natural love for this world and the things of it and to create in you an eager expectation uh, expectation and anticipation of glory, just like we just sang of that day when the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. We're waiting for glory. We're waiting for Christ and we're doing so eagerly because God in his wisdom has brought us through enough suffering to give us eyes to see the reality of what this world is. Even as Zach mentioned, the lies of it. The children of God get to see it. How does that happen? through their suffering. Do you remember when we talked about this back in chapter 5? In verse 1 he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Do you see it? What's our hope? Our hope is our confident expectation of future glory. What does suffering produce? What is God doing? He's producing in you hope. More and more expectation of his arrival and our glorification. Do you see how that works? It's absolutely necessary to do this. If we didn't have the suffering, why would we want to leave? If this was heaven on earth, so to speak, then we'd always be calling asking for a later checkout time. (laughs) Suffering is absolutely necessary to produce in us the hope we need and the endurance we need to get to the hope. Guys, in the gospel, understand this. God doesn't waste your suffering. 
God isn't wasting any suffering you're walking through. He has good, gracious intentions with it. Things that maybe you don't understand now, but one day in glory you'll see it. You'll be like, oh, that's what God was doing. But friends, even right now he tells us what he's doing. And that leads me here to verse 26. Listen, number four, the thing you need to remember out of Romans when you're suffering is that God is helping you. When suffering hits and then you're in the midst of it, you need to remind yourself that God is helping you. Even if you don't feel it, where the experience doesn't seem like it, God is helping you. Look at that in verse 26, the very first phrase, really first sentence. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Period at the end in our translation because it stands on its own two feet. It doesn't need the way he's helping us in this particular passage yet to explain what Paul means. He's just saying, likewise, as you're suffering and as you're waiting for hope, and as your weaknesses are being exposed, know this, that God himself by his spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He has not and will not abandon us. He will not leave his sons as orphans. He will stay with them and in them by the Spirit forever, said Jesus. And he helps us. He helps us endure. As a matter of fact, verse 25, one ver- just one verse before, but if we hope for what we do not see, that is future glory, while we're suffering, while we're groaning inwardly, we wait for that glory with patience. That's the word endurance, same word that was... Translated endurance back in chapter 5. Endurance, to bear up under something. Well, if we're weak and trials expose this weakness, then how can I be certain that I'm going to endure to glory? Have you ever had that thought? What if enough temptation comes in your life, enough suffering that maybe gets you to just Walk away from God because, because you've just had enough. What if you, if you ever had that enter into your mind, that possibility? Jesus himself said we must endure to the end and to be saved. Well, how do we endure to the end? Well, what's the very next thing that Paul says? Verse 26, likewise, in keeping with this, understand the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit As we sing this, the Spirit guarantees our hope until redemption's done. God has given us His Spirit, Ephesians 1, as a guarantee of our future inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Friends, the reason you know you're going to make it to the end is not because of your willpower or your strength or your grit. It's because God has given you His Spirit as a guarantee. 
God himself makes the guarantee, the pledge for his people in their hearts by the Spirit. He guarantees now that they make it to the end. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, he has caused, that is God, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, which is an interesting statement in and of itself. Who got you into this born again status? Was it you? Did you born yourself again? He has caused this to happen. You see those beautiful doctrines of grace getting weaved in? Not me making them up, coming right from the text. You're saved because God caused you to be born again. That's how it happened. God poured His Spirit in your heart. That's why you're saved. But listen to this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, listen to this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power guarding you. It's guaranteed. He is the guarantee. You see, the Spirit is the guarantee of our hope until redemption's done. The Spirit's helping you right now. It's the reason, He's the reason you woke up this morning believing in Jesus. He's that reason. If you are here with any kind of a sincere heart of worship, He's the reason for that. If He were to depart, you'd go right back in the world where you feel most natural and most at home. If the Spirit departs a person, they return to spiritual death, you see. Like you were before, the Spirit caused you to be born again. And now the Spirit sticks with us and He helps us in our weaknesses and He helps us through our suffering. Jesus said in John 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, the helper, we're familiar with this underlying Greek word, we call the spirit this all the time, the paraclete, comes from parakletos, meaning, listen, one called alongside to help. This is whom you've received. The spirit helps us in our weaknesses and the spirit guarantees we endure to the end believing trusting worshiping loving Jesus he helps us and what you need to know is that the spirit is helping you in times of trial and suffering but not necessarily out of the trial or suffering, but through it. The Spirit is helping you, says Paul, through the suffering. When we suffer, 
we are often looking for exit signs. We had the fire department come through this last week to inspect the building. I walked through them. One of the main things he does, he just goes to these lit up exit signs and they push a little button to make sure that if it would still be working if the power was out. So they're lit up like that and they have to be because if the room were filled with smoke, you'd need to be able to look up and you need to see where the exit is. But what God does is lead us into times when the room is filled with smoke and we're choking and we're gasping for air and we're afraid and we're looking around for an exit sign and there isn't one. You want to know why? Because it's God's will for you to be in that necessary suffering. And this is where Paul is going with this. He wants to zero in on one aspect of the Spirit's help in our suffering. Do you notice this in verse 26? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I thought, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. What does he mean by that? I mean, because the Bible's filled with prayers. I made the case last week or the week before, the whole psalm book is a book of prayers. Jesus has taught us to pray, and we have examples of saints in both the Old and New Testament praying. What does Paul mean when he says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought in the context now, I think of suffering in this present time? Look at the next statement. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, listen now, according to the will of God. The Spirit's interceding in prayer for us. And those prayers are according to the will of God. Because here's the catch. When we're suffering in a particular situation in our lives, we don't know what God's will is. We know what our will is. And sometimes we express that to God, and that's okay. We're given permission to pray our requests for a particular situation. But how many of you have noticed you've prayed your particular requests for a situation and it's not the way God worked it out? Friends, that's because that prayer, your request, is not according to the will of God. He has a better will, an eternal will, for your eternal good, not just your temporary good. You see that? And when you're praying, the Spirit is interceding for you with God, to God, according to God's will. Which means, friends, if you pray, thy will be done, then your prayers are always answered. You see, it's not always good for you to get what you want. Friends, isn't that what we teach our children? 
What would they eat for dinner every day if we just said, what do you want for dinner tonight? What time do you want to go to bed tonight? It isn't good for us to get what we want. What is necessary for us is that at times we suffer so that God's will, which is better than our will, and God's goal, which is better than our goals, is accomplished. When he says in verse 26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, it's interesting that the underlying phrase could be brought out just simply, we do not not know what to pray that which is necessary. We don't know what's necessary to happen in the situation in what we should be praying for. We just know what we would like to see And that is for us to be out of the suffering or for our loved one to be out of the suffering as quickly as possible. But the suffering, as we've already reminded ourselves, is necessary. And the Spirit knows that. The mind of the Spirit is in accordance with the will of God. Because, of course, friends, the Spirit is God. So, of course, He is in full knowledge of His own will, as you see. And God, look at what he says. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some Christians have misunderstood this to believe it is some kind of speaking in tongues gifting that's given to the Christian at a particular time. They're getting this prayer language going. The Spirit's helping them do it and they're groaning these... uh, wordless groans or groans too deep for words. But see, friends, that cannot be the case because Paul has made it very clear in other passages that only some Christians receive the gift of speaking in tongues to any degree. So clearly then, what Paul is talking about here is for every believer who has the Spirit. The Spirit is doing this for them and it is his groanings too deep for words. It's his wordless groanings that are actually transpiring. And he says in verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Did you notice that? He who searches hearts, that's God. In case you didn't know, God searches your hearts and he knows what your thoughts are and he knows what your desires are and he knows the pain you're going through. He knows the sorrow you're experiencing. He knows the anger you're battling and he cares. That's the idea. If I were to preach at a fundamentalist college for young adults, as I heard once as I was sitting at a chapel of one, I would preach this saying, he who searches hearts You better watch out. He's searching your hearts. He knows what you're thinking. Remember sitting there with these thousands of like 18 to 20-year-olds, a lot of them still pubescent males who are probably thinking, oh my goodness, he knows my thoughts. (laughs) What a foolish way to interpret that passage. 
What a foolish way to interpret a passage that is clearly designed. Friends, listen, to encourage the children of God. Like God knows what you're feeling. That's what it means. He knows everything on your mind and heart. He knows it right down to the thought. He discerns, the psalmist says in 139. He discerns your thoughts from afar before you even form a word, if you can bring yourself to do it. Before you form a word in prayer, he knows all about it. And he knows what is the mind of the Spirit because or that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Friends, sometimes suffering hits you hard. You sit silently and don't even know what to say. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having a situation happen to you and as I can think about, even one particular day for me, I drove away in my car. This was years ago, even before I got here. and Something had transpired, and I was so devastated. I sat in my car for probably an hour, just staring out the window. Emotions so enormous within my mind and heart. Didn't even know what to say. Those moments, sometimes all we can pray is things, oh God, make haste to save us. Oh Lord, make haste to help us. And friends, in those moments, remember, the Spirit is helping you in your weakness. He is actively interceding for you according to the will of God. God will see this through. God will work this out. God will carry this through. And he'll bring it, friends. And let me tee us up for next week. Verse 28. We can know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, the good is you being glorified in the end, making you more like Christ, building your hope, building your endurance. He's working this for my good, my eternal good. You can trust him. And you see, Christian, as he brings you through suffering after suffering after trial after trial, some little, some bigger, and you work your way through and you see him help you. You feel him help you time and time again. Do you see how your faith is built? And then you are able to run to the aid of those who are in the midst of it, right? To help them and encourage them along. God is in this. He's working in this. He's working for your eternal good. He's discipling you. He's discipling his people. He's discipling his children. Conforming them ultimately to the image of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I love knowing that people are praying for me and I have a congregation that I know prays for me and it's such a blessing to know that you pray for one another. But friends, isn't it awesome to know that the Spirit is praying for you? Praying according to the will of God for you? Because none of us ultimately know the will of God in each particular situation. I love the account of Paul, and I'll just leave us with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, Paul 
had had these great visions of heaven and of God, and he had just been given so much revelation. And so God allows a messenger of Satan to afflict him. Paul called it a thorn in the flesh. People speculate over it was. might have been something physical. I don't know. But he suffered under this. And he pled with the Lord three times that this would depart from me. It's hindering my ministry. This is hampering the good I could do. God, take this from me. And I'm sure the Spirit was in Paul. And Paul doesn't know what to pray for as he ought. Because this is from the Lord. This was designed, Paul said, as he learned later, to keep him humble. To make him like Christ. Otherwise, he, with all his knowledge and revelations and giftings, he'd be running around like a proud madman. God designed this and Jesus said, but my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul got to the end. He says, what? He says, okay, I see God. I'll gladly then boast in my weaknesses. I will boast in these so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. If you're suffering, God is helping you. His spirit is in you. His grace is sufficient for you. He will bring you through this according to his will. It'll work out in the end and far greater than you could ever imagine. And anything that you have suffered in this life won't be worth comparing to it. And when he shows it to you, you'll see how awesome it is. Learn to trust him, Christian. Learn to put all your trust in the Lord. As for us, we are poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of us and he helps us in our weaknesses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for giving us light as to what you're doing in our lives. Build more endurance in us. Build more hope of glory in us. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.